Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. So maybe the way to begin this morning is simply by saying those two names again, Hosea and Gomer. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you for being a God who is faithful, a God who relentlessly pursues relationship with us, a God who in spite of our failures, in spite of our unfaithfulness, a God who still loves us and longs for relationship with us. And God, no matter what else happens this morning, I pray that we are reminded of that that truth, that you are a faithful, pursuing, loving God. May we grab hold of that as we seek you, as we follow you, reminded again and again that you have never left us alone. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, this Old Testament couple, Hosea and Gomer, one of the most remarkable stories in the entire Old Testament. Hosea was one of what we call the minor prophets, 12 of them all together. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Uh, I at least passed the test this morning, uh, even though some on the video did not. And while we're at it, the major prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, major and minor prophets, not that there are not other prophets in the Old Testament, but these are what we call writing prophets because uh, these prophets have a book named after them in the Old Testament. And it's not a matter of a minor prophet being less important than a major prophet is, The reality is most of the books that bear their names are shorter in nature. In fact, all 12 of these minor prophets were originally grouped together in the Hebrew Bible, simply called 12 or sometimes the book of the 12. Hosea was one of the 8th century prophets engaged in his prophetic ministry at about the same time as Amos, and like Amos, His words are primarily directed to the northern kingdom. You will recall both the north and the south were a part of a united kingdom for a number of years under the reign of Saul and David and Solomon. Once the kingdom is divided, then we begin to watch the downfall of both Israel to the north and Judah to the south, Israel on a quicker pace. And so Hosea, just like Amos, extends warnings to the people of Israel of their impending captivity at the hands of the Assyrians. One of the reasons the the story of Hosea and Gomer is so intriguing is because there is obviously a bigger story going on. Not that that isn't the case with every part of Scripture, but with this story, there is obviously a bigger story going on. Uh, What we sometimes may refer to as the upper story and the lower story. The lower story, the story of Hosea and Gomer. The upper story, 
the story of God's work in their lives, the story of God's unfolding promises from generation to generation. And as you read the book of Hosea, you will discover that just like some of the other prophets, Hosea engages in some rather bizarre activity, some rather bizarre behavior. Uh, You may recall, as an example, Isaiah the prophet, who walked around naked and barefoot for three years as he preached his message, a sign during his time that the Assyrians would overcome Egypt and Ethiopia, where unfortunately Judah chose to place their trust in other powers rather than in God. And so Isaiah engages in that bizarre activity to make, make clear the message that God, through the Assyrians, would take away prisoners regardless of age, and he would take them away into captivity completely naked. Bizarre behavior. So also the story of Hosea and Gomer, incredibly symbolic, in this case symbolic of God's relationship with his people Israel. Uh, The 8th century B.C., and I don't know whether you've given any focus to that period of Old Testament history recently or not, but it was one of the highest and one of the lowest moments in the history of Israel. I love the way one writer puts it. He says, the reign of Jeroboam II, and if you read Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, his ministry is detailed during the time of some of the kings of Judah and during the time of Jeroboam, Jeroboam II, who was the king of Israel. This writer says the reign of Jeroboam II was just an orgy of peace, plenty, and prosperity. In Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, God's people had the time and the resources to indulge themselves in anything and everything their hearts desired. And so this important note, there is nothing more deadly than too much money and too much time. What happened to God's people in the 8th century B.C. is a textbook case of the destructive power of those two forces. And as a result, Social injustice was rampant. Idolatry was rampant. Rather than trusting this God who had been so loving and faithful to them, they pursued the gods of the people around them, and they pursued basically any kind of lifestyle they wanted, any kind of addiction they wanted. From an outside perspective, everything seemed to look good. The people were enjoying peace and prosperity. Even the religious gatherings abounded. But beneath the surface, from God's perspective, evil prevailed in the way they treated their neighbor, thus the emphasis on social justice in the book of Amos, in the way they dishonored God with their idolatry, in so many respects, the focus of Hosea. It was during this time that God came to Hosea and said, Hosea, I want you to understand, my people have been unfaithful. They have been adulterous, a key word in the book of Hosea, that word that communicates the idea of breaking covenant. We sometimes use it to describe someone who breaks a marriage covenant, but in a larger context, it is the idea of breaking covenant. God says, my people have been unfaithful. They have been adulterous uh, in their relationship with me. God says, I took Israel as my bride. We became as one. I loved her. I cared for her. I cherished her. And now she has been unfaithful to me. Hosea, I want you to understand. I want you to take a wife. 
And as the story unfolds, a wife of prostitution, I want you to love her, care for her, commit yourself to her, give your life to her. When you give yourself to that woman who will become unfaithful to you, like, like I gave myself to Israel, who has become unfaithful to me, then you will share with me the hurt of unfaithfulness. Hosea, I want you to know what it feels like. In time, Hosea met a young woman named Gomer. He loved her. There is no doubt about that from the text. He took the woman as his wife, and for a little while, me reading between the lines a bit, for a little while, I've got to believe it must have been good. But it doesn't last long. In fact, you can just read between the lines and feel the tension in that home. Soon, Hosea is living in a house that you could hardly call a home. And so back to some of the beginning words of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. As the children come, Hosea names them. And we have some real insight into the status of his life and his home. Gomer gives birth to a little boy. Hosea names him Jezreel, a name which means scatters, or maybe even more specifically, God scatters, used to reinforce the coming judgment on Israel. A second child, a little girl is born. Hosea names her Laruhamah, which means not loved, which had to be the way Hosea felt in his own home. Finally, another son is born. Hosea names him Loami, which means not mine or not my people which again communicates what is going on in the story. By this time, there could be no doubt. The horror that Hosea has lived with all of these years must have finally dawned, dawned on him as the brutal truth plays out in his life. A child born in his own home, a child brought into the world by his own wife is not his. And yet in spite of all of that, Hosea doesn't divorce Gomer. Those who loved Hosea must have been flabbergasted. What kind of fool is this man? What kind of man could spend the day out on the street corner proclaiming the Word of God, preaching the morality that God, God wanted people to live out, preaching repentance? What kind of man could do that during the daytime and then come home and live with a prostitute? Finally, after years of a sham marriage, Gomer decides that she's going to have everything she wants. In poetic type fashion, in chapter 2, she said, I will go after my lovers who give me food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. And with that, Gomer walks out of that house and leaves behind a husband who loves her and three children who desperately need her. It's really there that our story begins because it is not until now that Hosea can begin to grab hold of the relationship between God and Israel because now Hosea and Gomer have become that very relationship. You see, God has loved Israel from the very beginning, and yet Israel has been unfaithful to God again and again and again and again. And Israel is about to pay the consequences for her unfaithfulness, and yet God loves Israel with a relentless love, with a pursuing love, with an unconditional love. Just like Hosea will ultimately buy Gomer back in a slave market, redeeming her, bringing her back to himself, so also God's promises for Israel's future 
are filled with redemption and hope and forgiveness. And that's where we need to be very careful that we don't just get caught up in the lower story, the story of Hosea and Gomer, that we get so caught up there that we miss the upper story. You see, the reality is all of us are Gomers. All of us have been unfaithful. God's charge against Israel could be his charge against us. For example, chapter 4, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. You see, one of the recurring themes in Hosea is the ugliness of sin. Sixteen times in this one book, the author uses a single word to describe the ugliness of sin. It is the word prostitution, or as some of our older translations put it, whoredom. Sin is offensive. I am convinced that one of the problems in our world today is that we've lost sight of how offensive sin is in the eyes of our God. And so the book will continue to unfold in describing Israel. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Or these words in chapter 9, Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations, for you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. We need to hear that, 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 that very carefully. These Old Testament prophets never sugarcoat sin. And we need to, very, need to hear very carefully that Israel and Judah will live out the consequences of their sin, of their behavior. Israel will be, will be taken captive by the Assyrians, Judah by the Babylonians. God is a just God. God does not take sin lightly. Hear that message. But in the prophets, it is not so much a matter of prophets being angry. You might draw that conclusion when you first begin to read. But it is a message of a prophet who is in anguish reflecting the very heart of God for his people. And so we not only see the ugliness of sin, we see the story of God, a gracious God who longs for a relationship with his people, even when they've been unfaithful to him. In fact, one of the pictures painted of God in Hosea is the picture of God being so puzzled, so hurt, so stunned that he could do so much for his people and then have them not care and then have them play the role of the prostitute, guilty of idolatry, guilty of not loving their neighbor. You see, they are not a grateful people. And the bottom line is there is nothing that so thoroughly destroys relationships like ingratitude. In fact, I think Scripture is clear. When we are not a thankful people, think about the words of Romans chapter 1, for example. When we are not a thankful people, that lack of gratitude leads to idolatry. We no longer honor God as God. We no longer give God the glory that God deserves. And that lack of gratitude affects how we treat others. We treat other, others with contempt rather than love. And it plays out in how we choose to live. Thus, a catalog of sins in Romans chapter 1, for example. But you see, the message of Hosea is that just like the broken bond between Hosea and Gomer could be restored and is, so also their broken relationship, our broken relationship with God and with one another can be completely restored. There are so many verses I could read from Hosea. I choose this one from chapter 14. 
where God says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. Maybe one of the questions we ought to pose as we read Hosea and we see that emphasis on unfaithfulness, prostitution, adultery, maybe one of the questions is, as ugly as that may look like, how have you and I been guilty of the same? You see, Gomer's prostitution is simply symbolic of the ways that you and I have been unfaithful to God in countless ways. And so, in what ways have we played the role of the prostitute, of the unfaithful wife? And then to take another step forward and recognize that the purpose of God's movement in the life of Hosea, hear me carefully, if you hear nothing else, hear this, the purpose of God's movement in the life of Hosea was to teach his people that God lives to restore people. No matter how far they have turned away from God, no matter how far we've turned away from God, God lives to restore us into relationship with Him. And we may respond just like I suspect the people of Hosea's day did, but that doesn't make sense. That's illogical. That's unreasonable. And you would be right Because, you see, the grace of God doesn't make sense, and yet it is the grace of God that saved a wretch like me and like you. All of us are Gomer, unfaithful in so many ways, but thank God that God is the Hosea of our lives. And this church is filled with countless stories of folks who have felt the loving embrace of our God who pursues us. Would you turn your attention to the screens? I'm Brenna Wilson. I'm Josh Wilson. We have two children, one three and a half, and a little boy named Knox, and a little girl who just turned one in April. Mia. I work at a software company called Tidalflow, um, and I'm their land services department. And I work at a place called Osteogenics. It's a dental supply company here in Lubbock. We've been at Monterey for three years. The way in which that he has shown me unconditional love is just never leaving my side uh, through everything that I've uh, been through and done in my life. For me, God has shown me unconditional love. In the last six years that we've been married, um, just to never give up, um, he's been right there, like Josh said, by my side um, on days that I really wanted to give up. He has just shown me to keep going and to trust him and to have faith in him every step of the way, even though sometimes it wasn't easy, and he's still pursuing me, so I love that. I'm Josh. And I'm Brenna. And and we're we're unqualified. I rambled too long. <laughs> you did great. Well, Barry didn't really answer the question that was posed at the very beginning, so I want to ask you guys, what is a prostitute? Well. No. <laughs> so Barry's been talking about Hosea and Gomer. I called, uh, I called them Homer, uh, just the combined, and I do that accidentally, so I may do that in the midst of this too. I did it at first service already. So uh, Barry's talking about Hosea and Gomer. Hosea represents God. Um, whose unconditional love always pursuing us, and Gomer uh, representing an adulterous people in Israel 
Um, so I guess my first question would be is, in your relationship, who's Hosea, who's Gomer? Gomer, <laughs> for sure. Um, I know she'll disagree. I'll let her talk about that. Uh, obviously, disclaimer, I am not a prostitute. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I relate to Gomer in the fact that, you know, even in uh, the filth that, that covered my life and um, the things that I was doing that separated me from God, uh, just his constant pursuit after me uh, to reconcile that relationship that he so desired in me, uh, just even in that brokenness. And I am definitely Gomer um, in a couple of ways that I have written down here. Um, first of all, um, I wasn't. our sins aren't the same. However, they are a lot alike in the way that um, she didn't use God as her redeemer, and I haven't done that um, in a lot of ways as well. Um, for one, what I like to do is try to idolize Josh and use him as my God. A lot of times, um, he is the one that's supposed to bring me happiness, and he is the one that's supposed to bring me joy. And a lot of times, um, that doesn't happen, and the Wilson household is not fun. So um, that's definitely one way. Um, another way is just me trying to actually change him. I want to change him. I want him to be who I want him to be, um, follow my rules, and never really thinking about what God has in store for him. I just wanted to mold him into who I wanted to be, or I wanted him to be. So just to, to change him completely. So that's another example of how I'm Gomer. Well, Josh, you've walked a pretty interesting road over the last seven-plus months uh, since uh, last fall, November-ish. Uh, you've walked a pretty interesting road of, of, of struggles and seeing what God's doing in your life. Um, how would you describe his unconditional love through that process? Kind of tell us a little bit about what happened there. Uh, yeah, so the Cliff Notes version uh, is, you know, ever since I was a little kid, uh, I've had very deep insecurities and just feelings of inadequacy. Um, and, you know, it wasn't anything that was due to my circumstances. Uh, you know, wonderful family and parents. Uh, my mom's here today. Um, but it was just the lies that I would was being told about myself that, you know, I was unworthy. Uh, and, and through, you know, the those feelings and, you know, life circumstances, um, developed addictions of alcoholism and pornography that uh, were really just this way of trying to, to numb out the feelings that I had in that. Um, and after, you know, 15, 20 years of living this life, uh, seven or eight months ago, back in November, you know, it was, it was just something that in bringing that to him in surrender, um, that he was able to lift those from me. He was able to break those chains that had just ensnarled me for so many years and, and set me free of those things and uh, really um, showed me that I am worthy and that, that he has called me to be his child and that I'm an heir to the kingdom of God. Amen. Yeah, you can please. Yeah. 
we've, uh, the, the three of us have walked this road before and at other places, other times when you guys have spoken. And so I've had a chance to listen to y'all's story and pick up on things. And Josh, you've said multiple times before in the past that uh, alcohol and pornography weren't the problem. They were symptoms. And that there's a bigger problem that was going on with you than just those two things. That God has delivered you from them, but there's a, a bigger problem, a core problem. So how would you describe the core problem? Uh, yeah, like I said, the the pornography and the alcoholism was just uh, self-medicating, trying to temporarily numb the wounds that I had, uh, the emptiness that I felt. Uh, the core problem was uh, where I was placing my hope and, and satisfaction and fullness was just of everything in the world, you know. Um, if I could just have a little bit more success, money, you know, you name it, um, then I'd feel better about myself, my life. And I, I so depended on those things to define myself and to uh, kind of live up to par to everyone around me. Um, but really just not not relying on him to be my, uh, you know, my secure stronghold and, and to fill me up. Um, you know, and those things just perpetuated themselves on each other, just seeing nightly, just pleading to God, take these things from me and, you know, failing all over again the next day. And it wasn't really until uh, that no in November when, you know, coming forward and, and confessing and bringing those, the dark places in my life to light and giving them to him that he was able to uh, really redeem me and give me re new life and cleanse me of that stuff. And, uh, you know, just that unconditional love that just pursued me at all times, even through all that turning away from him um, and restoring our marriage, you know, that was torn uh, apart by lies and just lack of trust. And he just bound it back together with, you know, his love and um, just faithfulness. Well, Brenna, you, you walked this road with him. So y'all have been together, married for six years. And so you'd said during first service, like 15 or 20 years, you've been dealing with this in your life before we get to Brenna entering the picture. You entered the picture, and it's very easy for us to look at him and make him the Gomer and you the Hosea here. But in reality, one of the things you were just saying a little bit ago is that uh, you, you, you were the Gomer too in this mix. And so kind of you were transformed, you were changed through this process the last seven months on top of the, the, the five and a half years leading up to that, that turning point. So how has God been doing this and changing you and shaping you in the midst of all this? Well, I realized that I really like a good checklist. I want to be able to say, this is the rule. I'm going to follow it. And if God tells me this, this, and this, then I'm good. Um, and that is not at all how he wants us to live. He wants a relationship with us. Um, he adores me. And that's something that I've really um, been just trying to understand, his unconditional love for me. Um, so, yeah, with that, I've just learned so much that it's not about a checklist. God's love is so much greater than a checklist. When kind of connecting the dots from what you said at the very beginning is you were placing a checklist for you and for God upon Josh also. Is that fair? That's very fair. Josh was not following my rules at all. And I did not like that. Um, like I said, I love a good checklist. And the things that he was doing, you know, didn't, I couldn't check the boxes like I wanted to. So how has that changed now? Now that you've kind of walked through this, 
Uh, and I, I think it's always dangerous for us, and I, and I, I had to catch myself a couple times during first service. Uh, it's very easy for us to say on the other side, but really we're still on this side. It's that, it's that process, right? But So how has this changed for you in the midst of this process? So I never really focused on his unconditional love, um, how he feels about me. And, you know, if I didn't check a box, it is okay. Um, Josh pointed out to me, it, it's kind of like a coloring book or a coloring page. I really like to be in those lines. I want to color it really pretty, and I want to put on a happy face. And for everyone to, to really, um, you know, just see our happy selves, um, even to the extent I left my straightener um, somewhere this weekend, and then this morning, guess what? I don't have a straightener. What am I going to do? I'm going to be in front of all of these people. I don't know what to do. I'm just still panicked about my appearance and how it looks. And so you got this curly thing today. But anyway, um, you know, life isn't just a pretty picture coloring book all the time. It's messy. And that's okay, too. Um, God meets us right where we are, and um, he's right there with his love. Um, and that's one thing that I'm really working on, just my relationship with him and how he's pursuing me. It's been really beautiful. It has been a huge blessing to me just being able to sit down with you guys and talk with you guys um, over, I guess, the last seven months at different points. Josh, you and I just sitting down having some coffee and then kind of sharing and hearing both sides of the story and what's been going on. Uh, they get to hear a small glimpse of it here, but uh, there's another part of the story that I want you guys to describe for them. Throughout Scripture, God gives people, um, he puts people in, in others' lives in order to walk with them in the muck, to walk through the pit with them, to, uh, to speak truth into their lives. And, and for the, the book Hosea, it was Hosea into Gomer's life, um, as hard as that was. So I guess my question is, is who are some of the Hoseas in y'all's lives as you walk through this process? Um, definitely my best friend, Mindy, who's here today, um, and also my Bible study group. Um, I, I, we've really kept a lot of it under wraps, except for um, those few people that I could really confide in. And um, they might have gotten tired of me being on their prayer requests list every single week, but I was. And they um, continued to pray for me um, throughout all of, and they still do. So that's who I reached out to. Uh, yeah, for me, um, you know, we have a great group of friends that always uh, was constantly pouring into us love, prayer, um, and and especially through uh, going through the Z experience, uh, just a brotherhood of men that would lift me up and, and pour into my life um, was a huge Hosea. But kind of at the beginning of this process in November coming forward, this church was a huge Hosea, just a multitude of Hoseas in our lives, uh, you know, heading into that, man, I'm, I'm just going to have to confess this and everybody's going to hear the, the imperfections and it's, it's like, I felt like I was going on trial, you know, hey, this is what I did, everybody scold me or something, but uh, man, I couldn't have been more wrong, uh, just the outpouring of love and grace, and just people reaching out, and letters, and just being there for us, and speaking life into us in this situation, um, was just meant the world to both of us, and, and so I would say that was another huge uh, group of Hoseas in our life. Well, I know you guys 
you guys understand this. I'm not sure if they do, and I didn't say this at first service, but do you recognize the, the beautiful cycle that God has created here, that while we got to speak into your life, I remember st y'all standing right over there, that now you're sitting here speaking into their lives also, that God, y'all have become a Hosea to them also in the midst of what he's doing in y'all's lives. And so let's give them a round of applause just for sharing their lives with us. We don't always, uh, actually nine times out of ten, we don't get to know Josh. Uh, I forgot to ask this one, but Josh, he had told almost nobody what was going on with him, the details. Brenna had, but Josh had kind of held on to that, and it was in his secret place in the dark corners and hadn't uh, let that out. And one of the biggest things I hope you hear uh, the two of them talking about is that light has to shine on these places, that God came in as Hosea to Gomer to shine the God's light into life, to speak truth into that. And so I hope this morning what you hear is that this is your invitation. Your invitation is to, uh, to be a part of this, to allow God through us or just God in general to speak to you and the truth about who you really are as his child, that there is no dark place that he can't get to. And so this morning we're going to have elders on either side of the stage. If there's something that you are ready to let go of, feel free to come down and speak with them. Or Barry will be up here. Or I'll be right over there also. Uh, if you need prayer, if, you just, if you're hurting in some way or you just uh, want to speak to someone about who this amazing, awesome Jesus guy is, who is the greatest Hosea in our lives, then we encourage you to come during this time. Uh, let's go ahead and stand and worship our Father.